Jamasiki means praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's how they greet one another in India. In the church, they come up and they say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. So why don't we try that? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Oh, you guys are so good. Man, way to go. It is great to be back. My name is Dave, and I'm the campus pastor here at our World Golf Village campus. And for the last uh, two weeks, I've been in India with some friends teaching biblical theology to several different groups of pastors and visiting with our movement leader, Ken Tombing, in his part of in India called Manipur. So... Um, I have a couple pictures. Let, let me put these up. So on the upper left is a group of pastors that we trained in Delhi. There's about 50 of them. And they are pastors and church planters in Delhi, which is in the north part of um, India. And also some men from Odesha, which is in the southern part. They took the train for 24 hours to get to the training. And um, they were so attentive. One of the neat things about those pastors that we trained in Delhi is that the movement leader, a man named Daniel Kumar, he has a vision for multiplication. Our purpose as a church is to make disciples together. And his movement is training men who make a follower, make a disciple, make a member, make a leader, make them like Jesus. Sounds a lot like what we're trying to do here at Good News Church. And it's great to see that the gospel is on the move throughout India. On the right-hand side, the second week, we were in uh, Hyderabad, outside of Hyderabad at a retreat center, training 500 pastors in biblical theology. So those are the pictures on the right. And those 500 pastors are committed to training and then planting five churches each over the next seven years. Did you hear that right? 500 pastors who will train and plant five churches each over the next seven years. So that's 2,500 churches that could potentially be planted out of this group, and that multiplication is going to continue as they continue to train more and more people. That's amazing what God is doing. In a country of 1.3 billion people that has the highest concentration of unreached people groups of any place in the world, that has the largest population, of course, of Hindu non-believers, the largest population of, of Muslim non-believers, centered in this one country of India. And God is putting us in touch here at Good News with new leaders to partner with, in planting churches that can plant churches, that can plant churches until Jesus comes again. It was a great trip. I'm so excited to have been able to go, and I am glad to be back. Thank you for your prayers. There really is no, one, no place like home, and uh, so I'm really grateful. I went to the tap, filled my, my uh, cup up with water, and just drank it, and didn't have to worry about anything. It was great, and uh, probably won't eat curry for couple weeks, but it's great to be back. Hey, um, let's just spend a moment in prayer, and then we'll open God's word together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the investment that Good News Church is making around the world. Thank you for um, the giving that uh, you have made possible here and that, that those monies are being invested in planting churches that can plant churches. And Lord, Lord, it is so good to open your word. It's so good to have the freedom to gather and worship publicly. It's so good to be able to put our faith into practice in the marketplace. It's so good to be able to follow you, King Jesus. We're so grateful for the privilege that's ours to live in this time. Lord, would you give your Holy Spirit to your church? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us this morning so that we would be able to understand what your word says to us and then put it into practice and then share it with others? Lord, would you make us workers in your harvest field who would take the gospel where we live, work, and play? And Lord, would you equip us for that this morning? Lord, help me as I teach, and help those who hear, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
So we have been walking through the book of 1 Timothy, and we come now to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 8 through uh, 15, and then we'll, we'll come back and we'll walk through it. Paul says this, Therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the women being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I wonder when my return flight to India is. Uh, some passage to come back to. There was once on Family Feud, there was a... a one question, you know, they come to the center and they, they have the first question. And uh, the first question was, what is a creature that all men are afraid of? You know, of course, what the number one answer on the board was. Women. So we're just uh, going to throw down the gauntlet here and walk through this passage this morning. And Paul is an apostle and he's a church planter. Paul is an apostle and he's a church planter and he's writing to his friend Timothy, his true child in the faith, man who's traveled with him and that is now Timothy's been sent to Ephesus to pastor the church that's in Ephesus. And the reason that Paul is writing the letter to Timothy is because he wants Timothy to fight the good fight. He wants Timothy to fight the good fight. And you say, well, what's the good fight? The good fight is for the gospel. The good fight is for the gospel to, to know and understand and defend and share the good news of Jesus Christ. The good fight is for the gospel. And the reason why it's so important that we defend and understand and apply and live out and share the gospel is because through Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can remedy fallen human nature, that Jesus Christ can restore all things, and he will, and he is. And that includes male and female. You see, we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus to get male and female right. And that's what we're going to learn this morning, that we all need Jesus to get male and female right right. Wouldn't you agree that in our culture today, there, there's a great deal of confusion about what male and female is? There's a great deal of confusion about gender identity. There's a great deal of confusion in our culture about human sexuality. There's a great deal of confusion in our culture. But where do we go to find answers to questions about gender Sexual identity. Where do we go to find answers about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman? You know, I'm so glad to be a Christian. I'm so glad to be a Christian because I can go to God's word to find answers to questions about gender and sexual identity and what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Because you could start with the wisdom of man. You could start with the wisdom of man, and you know where you'll end up? Confused. But if you start with the wisdom of God, you'll come to the very first verse in the Bible, and the very first verse in the Bible is the most important verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
You see, the Bible doesn't start with man. The Bible starts with God. The book is not a book. The Bible is not a book of human wisdom about God. The book is a book. The Bible is a book of God's wisdom to man. The Bible doesn't teach us how to find God. God finds us through the Bible. The Bible doesn't start with man. The Bible starts with God. And it teaches that God made everything and it was good. God created a good world and he placed man, male and female, in a good, on a good earth to cultivate and tend it and to fill the earth with people like them, male and female, made in the image of God. But something went wrong. And what went wrong with God's good world is that man rebelled against God and he said, I'm wiser than you are, God, and I can run my life better than you can. And when man turned his back on God, sin came into the world and sin wrecked everything, including male and female. And what we're going to see this morning as we walk through 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, and as we come back again to the creation story a little bit later, what we're going to see is that we all need Jesus to get male and female right. If you try to figure out what it means to be a man or a woman, to do male and female, if you try to look to the wisdom of man and you ask the question, what would be the most just and equitable way to balance out responsibilities between men and women? You won't arrive at the right answer. Because the women, wisdom of man will always tend to exalt one and push the other down rather than create an environment where men and women can complement one another. If you try to, to start and investigate what it means to be male and female, and you ask yourself the question, well, can women lead and can women teach? You'll arrive at the wrong answer because the answer to that question is, of course, yes, they can. But can is not the right question. There's many, many women probably in this room who could teach better than I can and probably lead better than I can. But what is God's intention in his word for his church? For his people. See, the question isn't justice or equity or human rights between male and female. And the question isn't ability between male and female. The question is, what does the God who made heaven and earth and placed man, male and female, on his good earth, what is his intention? What is his design for male? And female that's the question and to answer that question and more importantly to submit ourselves to the answer to that question we need Jesus many years ago Billy Graham perhaps who shared the gospel more with more people than anyone in the last several hundred years Billy Graham at early in his ministry came to a point in his life where he had a crisis of faith there was a man that he had gone to school with named Charles Templeton, and that man was also an evangelist with Youth for Christ, where Billy started his ministry. And, but as, as Charles Templeton went to seminary, he began to be trained in ideas about the Bible that caused him to begin to question whether the Bible really is the Word of God. And he started sharing with Billy questions about, about the Scriptures and science and different issues of, of faith. And, and it began to undermine Billy's faith until he went one weekend on a retreat at Forest Home in California. And on that retreat, he went out in the evening to the woods and he said, oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. But Father, I'm going to accept this as your word by faith. And I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. 
So let's do that this morning. Let's just assume that, that God has something to say to us this morning. By faith, let's believe that God has something to say to us about maleness and femaleness that can help us, that he has a good word for us about what it means to, to love and lead and what it means to love and follow. So let's ba go back to 1 Timothy 2. And let's start reading in verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. So this verse these verses teach that women need Jesus to love and follow in the home and in the church their husbands and male leaders of the church, that women need Jesus to love and follow, and that men need Jesus to love and lead, and that all things by Jesus' instruction are to be done in love. Men love and lead, women love and follow. And that we all need grace, we all need Jesus to pull that off. Because it doesn't come naturally to any of us. It doesn't come naturally to many men to love and lead. And it doesn't come naturally to many women to love and follow. But when Jesus moves in, when Jesus moves into a life, when Jesus moves into a woman... A woman is able to now, because they're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, now they're able to adorn themselves modestly. Because they have the righteousness of Jesus, they don't have to try and build a righteousness through what they wear, how they look, how they present themselves, whether or not they're sufficiently influencing people around them. The gospel moves into a woman's life and the gospel does something in a woman's heart so that they're now secure enough in Jesus to clothe themselves with modesty. Now they're secure enough in the gospel to pursue good works. Not to gain salvation, but because salvation has been gifted to them. Now, we read this and we say, well, of course a woman should pursue good works. But that would have been a radical idea in Timothy's day in, in Ephesus. You realize that Jesus did more to advance female rights than any other person ever? Because until the time of Jesus, it was thought that only men could do good works. And Jesus came along and he said, no, men and women have equal status, equal ability to do good works. They all have a place. And there were many women who followed Jesus as his disciples. The question of leadership in the church is not a question of whether women can follow Jesus and make a difference for him in the world. Of course, women can follow Jesus and make a difference in the world for him. The question is who should lead as elders and pastors in the church. Verse 12 says, I do, oh, so let me ask you this. So we've gotten so far that women's, the gospel changes the way a woman dresses, changes the things a woman pursues, and changes the way they receive instruction. So you're saying, Dave, you're saying that I have to do this? You're saying, I, I have to dress a certain way modestly. You're saying, I, I have to pursue good works with Jesus and his help. You're saying, I have to do this. No, I'm not saying you have to do anything. But I'm saying you get to. You see, maleness and femaleness in the gospel is a gift of grace. Maleness and femaleness in the gospel is a work of God in the heart. Do you have to? No, you don't have to, but you get to. See, everything in the kingdom, including maleness and femaleness, is a gift of grace, and therefore, we pursue life in the kingdom of God by faith and the power of grace, the gospel, and we find in Jesus a hidden treasure. Matthew 13, verse 44. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Do I have to pursue biblical maleness and biblical femaleness? You don't have to do anything, but you get to because you found in Jesus something so valuable, something so good, something so precious that you sell everything that you have and you pursue life and joy in Jesus. Verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 2 goes on. Paul says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, what is that about? Well, he mentions two things in the passage, teaching and having authority. Now, turn over a few, just maybe one page in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 5, and let's listen to verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So in verse 17 of 1 Timothy 5, Paul mentions the exact two things, teaching and ruling, as he does in verse 12 of chapter 2. And he does so in reference to who? The elders. So when he's talking in verse 12, he's not talking about women's engagement in the marketplace. He's not talking about women being engaged in ministry, sharing the gospel, teaching the Bible. He's talking about women's role in the office of elder or presbyter. And in the, when it comes to the one office of elder, pastor, teacher, presbyter, overseer, when it comes to that office, the office of overseer, rule and a rule or authority, teaching <coughs> is reserved, given to men. Now you see that in chapter 3, verse 1. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And so an overseer, an elder, that office of pastor, teacher, elder, rule and authority and teaching and preaching is reserved in the scripture for men. That's what verse 12 teaches and chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 and 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 but it's more than just a series of proof texts because look at verse 13 Paul doesn't make an argument based on a collection of proof texts and I'm not going to make an argument this morning based on a collection of proof texts but instead Paul and what we're going to do this morning is Paul goes back to the story of creation and he roots his defense of biblical male and female, biblically, biblical manhood and womanhood, he roots it in the story of creation. Verse 13, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. So Paul is going to make an argument about biblical leadership based on the story of creation. So turn your Bibles back to the beginning to Genesis chapter 1, and let's look at the story of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've already established that the first verse in the Bible is the most important verse because the first verse establishes who the main character is. And the main character in the Bible is not man, but God. God is the one who's eternal forever. There was never a time when God was not, but there was a time when we were not. There was a time when the world we live in was not. And there was a time when the universe was not. And the reason that there is anything is because of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now go down to verse 26. 
God said, let us make man in our image. Now you'll see there a, a hint, maybe not so subtle a hint, of the Trinity. While the word Trinity is never found in the Bible, God clearly exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That God is, a, is an infinite, eternal, holy community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that man's creation is unique because man's creation follows a divine counsel. God takes counsel with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they say together, let us make man in our image. Man is unique because man is made in the image of God according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all that creeps on the earth. That God created man uniquely for a purpose. That you'll never understand your purpose in the world if you don't understand that God created you. And he created you with a purpose. And what was that purpose? The purpose for which God created man was that man would rule over all things in the good world that he made and that he would fill the earth with image bearers. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God made man in his own image. Male and female, men and women, hear this, men and women are created equally as image bearers of God. Women image God, men image God, and together men and women image God by exercising dominion over his good world and filling this good world with more image bearers for God's glory. That was the end for which God created man. That was the purpose for which God created man. And it was good. Now, when you go to chapter 2 of creation, God in the story of the Bible drills down on the story of the creation of male and female, man and woman as his image bearers. And listen to chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in a garden, in the Garden of Eden, to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God created man and he gave man the word. He gave man the word of God. He gave him a divine command to cultivate and keep the garden in which he had placed him. So who does the word first come to? The, first, the word of God first comes to Adam. But as God looks at man... And as man is seeking to have dominion over the good creation that God had placed him in, it was not good for man to be alone. This is the first not good that you come to in the story of the Bible. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So man was enough like the creation that he could engage with the creation. As a creature, man could look at all the other creatures and he could name them, he could rule them, he could oversee them. But he couldn't be one with them. He couldn't recreate with them. He couldn't do the purpose for which he was made with any creature that was on the earth. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And he took one of his ribs 
and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Man was made from dust. God took dirt and made man. But when he made woman, he took a rib. And he didn't take from man from his head so that women would rule over man. He didn't take woman from the feet so that man would stomp on the woman. No, he took from the rib, from the man's side. Not dirt, but a rib. Women are valuable. Women are important. And women come from man's side so that only woman would be uniquely created by God to be a helper suitable for the man so that they could be alongside them to help them accomplish the purpose for which they were created. And he brought the woman to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The very first thing man does with his wife is he tells her a love poem. He sings a love song to his wife. This is free, men. Valentine's Day is on Tuesday. This is free. It's a love story. The story of creation isn't a story of order. It's a story of ravaged poetry and love between man and woman, between God and man and man and woman. It's a love story. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now man has a helper now man has someone that he can experience a one flesh union with. Now man has woman that he can be joined to and from that one flesh union can come children who would also share the image of God and together man and woman could fill the earth with image bearers to the glory of God. A good earth with good image bearers, living in it without sin. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. No shame, no sin, perfect oneness. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we keep going in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 14, and it says it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He made man, male and female, in his own image, in his own likeness he created them. Male and female he created them. He placed them in a garden to cultivate and tend it. He made woman from the side of man so that they could experience a one flesh union together and fill the earth with image bearers, but something went horribly wrong. We read that in chapter 3. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden? Isn't it interesting that the very first thing that Satan questions is God's goodness and his word? You shall not eat from the tree of the garden. Of good, of the garden. But the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The woman adds to scripture. She adds to the word of God and she adds the phrase or touch it. But she does get the consequence right. The woman said to the serpent, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's holding out on you. God's not as good as he says he is. He's holding back on you. 
When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. So the moment sin entered into the world, the moment sin entered into the world, the man and the woman were filled with shame. They were filled with guilt, and they, their relationship to one another was broken. And their relationship to God was broken. Sin, guilt, shame has consequences. It breaks our relationship with one another. It breaks our relationship with God. But God in his grace, verse 9, the Lord God called the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten for the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And in that verse, man in his rebellion against God seeks to find through blame an escape from his guilt and shame. And in that verse, from that one verse, verse 12, flows chauvinism and power and gaslighting and abuse and rape and every other wickedness that's been done by man against women in the history of the world. And it's all sin. And it all flows out of man's alienation from God and from his good world that he placed him in and his alienation from himself and from his wife. And out of that alienation, man reaches for something to use to make himself righteous before God. He reaches for blame. And all the devastation of maleness and femaleness and all the ways that we find to get it wrong flow from that alienation that the Bible calls sin. All abuse, all the brokenness in marriages and families, all flows from that alienation between God and man, man and woman, and blame will not solve the problem. And you say, well, can anything be done to solve the problem? And the answer is yes. Look at verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the first telling in the Bible of the gospel that God is going to solve man's sin problem once and for all. He is going to bring judgment on the serpent, the author of this great evil, and he is going to bring forgiveness to man and to woman through a redeemer, one who would be born of a woman, a savior who would be born of a woman and who could be the good, righteous king who could reign on the earth over man and over woman and who could move in to the human heart and make it possible for our relationship with God to be restored and our relationship with one another to be restored. And who is that Savior? Who is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15? Jesus. Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, in fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, born of a woman, born under the law, 
that he might redeem those who are under law and we might receive the full rights of sons. What does it mean for Jesus to redeem us? It means that Jesus came and he fulfilled all the good requirements of God's word. He lived in perfect submission. How do women submit well, follow well? Through Jesus, who was the perfect follower, who followed God's prescription in everything. How do men lead well? By following Jesus, who leads well, who goes to the cross on our behalf, who doesn't wait, us, wait for us to find salvation through religion, but does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He goes to the cross to redeem us, to pay the full and awful penalty that our sins deserve. And on the cross, he redeems us. God takes all of our sin and puts it on Jesus and punishes him in our place so that we could be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life. What does it mean to have eternal life? It means that our vertical relationship with God is recovered. Jesus came to bring us back to the garden where God could walk with us. Jesus came to bring us back to the garden where we could relate well in, the, in a family where men could lead well and women could follow well. And in the church, men could lead well and women could follow well. Jesus came to bring us back to the original state of things, to restore all things back to the good way that God created us, male and female. How do you get in on that life? How do you get in on that? Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. How do you get in on eternal life with God? How are you brought back to the Father and reconciled to one another so that you can lead and follow well in the Lord? By faith by receiving Christ into the center of your life. Have you? If you haven't, won't you? It's the only way that you can be brought back into a forever relationship with God, and it's the only way that you can be brought back into a fulfilling, whole life in your marriage and in your family. So won't you? Here at Good News, we love to say it's as simple as ABC, that we admit that we all have a sin problem. We haven't led well or followed well. We haven't submitted to God's authority. We've said, God, I'm wiser than you are. I know better than you. That we believe that Jesus has provided one redeemer, Jesus Christ. That God has provided one redeemer, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again. And that we commit, Jesus Enough of worldly wisdom. I want to go your way. You lead, I'll follow. Help me become the person you want me to be. Listen, at the end of the service, I'll give you the opportunity to say that to God right where you're sitting. Won't you start today? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to the sin problem created in the fall of man, and Jesus is the only way that we're ever going to find ourselves, find our way back into biblical maleness and femaleness. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus to get male and female right. There's one more verse in chapter 2 of Timothy to look at, and it's this. The woman will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith, and love and sanctity with self-restraint. And I'll admit, that verse is hard to understand. And it's hard, even harder maybe to apply. You see, do, well, do all women have to be defined by childbearing? No. No, you're not defined by childbearing, but aren't you glad that some women have had children? How many of you were born of a woman? You all have a reason to be thankful that there are some women who do bear children. Genesis 3.15 couldn't have been fulfilled if Mary hadn't given birth to Jesus. And none of us would be alive on the earth today if, if women hadn't. And so, listen, we're not women are not defined by childbearing, but we ought to celebrate, affirm, 
and pray for women who are mothers and parents of children. We should value the family. We should celebrate the family. We should defend the family. And we should do it in the power of Christ, in the power of the gospel. So we've walked through Paul's argument for maleness and femaleness rooted in creation, and we've seen that we all need Jesus. We need the gospel to get male and female right. And that Paul is speaking not of women being engaged in evangelism and disciple-making and working in the church, but having the office of elder, pastor-teacher, having rule and authority over man, and that that role of elder, pastor-teacher, is reserved for men. And so we say that the primary responsibility, the primary responsibility for servant leadership in the home and in the church is for men. The primary responsibility for servant leadership in the home and the church is for men. And every word in that statement is important. And probably the most important thing that you could understand in that verse is the word servant. If you've been reading along in the New Testament along with us, you came to Matthew chapter 23 this week. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus teaches this to his disciples. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. There are many, many ways to get leadership wrong in the home and in the church. There's many, many ways to get leadership wrong, and there's one way to get leadership right, and that's through faith in Christ and a humble servanthood that's born of the gospel. And so what I, what I want for me and what I want for you is that together we would treasure Jesus and enjoy being male and female. That men, we would treasure Jesus. We would treasure Jesus and we would submit to his loving leadership. And as he leads us well, we would be enabled by the power of the gospel to lead ourselves and lead our homes and lead in the church well. With humility, serving our wives, serving our families, serving our church, serving our neighborhoods, serving our businesses, that we would be the humblest. Because that's what the gospel does in our heart. The gospel doesn't say, you are awesome. No, the gospel says, cheer up. You're way worse than you think you are. But you are far more loved than you could ever imagine. Men, if you would humbly follow Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ would move into your heart and he would make it possible for you to lead well in your home and in the church by serving. And that we would enjoy being female we would be so thankful to, to be female that we would lovingly look to Jesus. And when women spend time with Jesus and they let Jesus love them well, when they experience his love, ladies, when you hear Jesus' love poem to you in the gospel, you'll be able to follow well. And it's only by God's grace. It's only through the help of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're struggling, just take, just take some time with Jesus and ask him, Jesus, Jesus, I, Jesus, I'm a little bit more confused now than I was when I got to church this morning. If that's you, that's okay. Ask Jesus. Jesus, I need your help. I, we got to work this out. He'll help you. Let him love you. Let him serve you. And if you'll let him love you and serve you, you'll be able to follow him and he'll help you become the kind of follower he made you to be. Men will be able to lead well and women will be able to follow well only when we get up every day and we let Jesus love us. We get up every day and we let Jesus lead us and we become 
his followers. And together, the church will become a picture. It will become a preview of coming attractions when we'll have the opportunity for all eternity to get maleness and femaleness right. Because one day soon, Jesus is coming again to judge the earth and establish the final state of things. And what was lost in the creation will be restored forever in the new creation. And we'll have Jesus. We'll have Jesus with us to get male and female right. Until then, let's treasure Jesus. Let's treasure Jesus and enjoy being male and female. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you made us male and female. And Jesus, I thank you that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus, I thank you that you were born of a woman. I thank you that you came to, to redeem us from the guilt and condemnation and restore us back to the Father and, and to restore us back to one another. And Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that you're drawing to yourself, would you enable them to just say to you now, Jesus, I've sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that you lived and died and rose again for me. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. and Help me become the person you want me to be. And Jesus, we admit this morning how much we need you to get male and female right. And we pray that you'd help us become more and more a people a people who are seeking to treasure you and get male and female right by enjoying being male and female. And that we would be a little bit of a preview of coming attractions to the world around us, of what's coming one day when you come again to judge the earth and establish the final state of things. Come quickly, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.